Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30 p.m. Another snowy Sunday, two weeks in a row, but we thank you that you were leaning in this morning to join us for worship. My kids looked out the window uh, this morning, everything covered in snow, and maybe you're tuning in somewhere where there is no snow. Well, we're getting dumped on here, but my kids looked out and... They got excited, so we told Echo um, to play A Marshmallow World by Dean Martin. So my kids were dancing around the living room to Marshmallow World by Dean Martin this morning, and, and I would sing it for you. I would sing it for you, but I know that you probably would not be for that. You probably would not be for that this morning. So I want to start off with a question. If you made a list of the things you are for, if you made a list of the things that you are for, you know, the main things in your life that you're in support or in favor of or hold a firm belief in, what would it include? What would it include? If you made a list of the things you are for, what would it include? Perhaps for some of you, you're for serving. You're for serving. Maybe some of you on your list of things you are for, um, it would include the New York Yankees. Brian, Adrian. Maybe. I mean, maybe if you list, made a list of things you are for, it would be for community. You're for community. Maybe some of you are for work. You're passionate about work. You're for work. Maybe, maybe you're for the beach, or maybe you're for the lake, or maybe you're for the mountains. Maybe, maybe you're for youth group. You love gathering with your friends on Sunday night for youth group. And maybe, maybe you're for whatever team is playing in the Super Bowl tonight that Don Brady is not playing for. Maybe, maybe you're for that. Maybe you're a generous person and you're forgiving. What are you for? And this is the direction in which we're headed over the next four weeks together as a church family as we begin a new sermon series today titled, For What? For What? For What? And this series where it's birthed out of, out of Pastor Adrian's heart, and I want to I quote him here. He said that too many people in the world know too much about what the church is against, it's much more important they understand who and what we're for. And so here we are, the first week of our series, For What? And it's our hope that after these four weeks that you will gain a deeper understanding of four key concepts that we are for based on our church mission statement. And that you will see the church as an advancing community offering the great promises of God and honoring what he honors. And like I said, it's built on our mission statement, which is transformed by God. We believe we are transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. So the first two weeks are going to focus on this idea of being transformed by God. The second two weeks of bringing hope to others through Christ. But let me get back. Let me get back to the original question, but change it a bit. If you made a list of the things you were for, what would it begin with? What would it begin with? The things we're for usually are the things that we are passionate about, right? The things we're for are the things we're usually passionate about. And so no list of what we are for as the church, as the people of God, can ever begin without Jesus. Which leads us to our first week in the series today. We're for Jesus. 
We're for Jesus. But what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to say we're for Jesus? Because when we declare that, that all hands might have went up. Yeah, I'm for Jesus. But before we answer the question, what does it mean to be for Jesus? We must first examine what Jesus we're actually for. If you say this morning, if you say today that you are for Jesus, I ask that you honestly examine your heart and examine what Jesus you're actually for. What Jesus? Because I realized a while back during my college years that the Jesus so many claim to be for and following, including myself, seemed to be different than the one I heard preached about on Sundays and the one found in the pages of the scriptures. It took me a while, too long, in fact, to get it. That we have created a counterfeit Jesus, and we've lost the real one of the scriptures. Now, stay with me. In fact, I followed after this Jesus throughout my college years and into early adulthood. I thought that if I was Christian, and I tried tried my hardest to live like Jesus, that I would have peace and freedom in my life. But I still had desires I thought were supposed to disappear. Lust, pride, selfishness. It's because my version of Christianity is worded well here by author Jeff Bethke. He says, it was the American religion of work hard, do good, feel good, and maybe God will say, we good. This counterfeit Jesus of our making is newer, he's safer, he's sanitized, and he's ineffective. So I made a list for us today to see, to help us examine our hearts to see if the Jesus you say you are for is a self-serving, safe, and sanitized Jesus or the Jesus of the scriptures. Perhaps you're trying to follow prosperity Jesus today. He will make you healthy and wealthy and all of your dreams will come true if you follow this Jesus. And maybe you're following the guru Jesus today. Jesus to you is is your spiritual teacher and he is leading the way to happy living in your life. Jesus enjoys seeing you be happy, but he wants to see you holy. Or maybe the Jesus that you're following is Dr. Jesus, right? Ready for our visit, but only when we need him occasionally, of course. Or maybe it's the follow your heart Jesus. You know, the word of God says that God is love. But this follow your heart Jesus we made says, love is God, so follow your feelings. Follow your feelings. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? Or maybe, maybe you're following the condiment Jesus. You know, like, like your ketchup or your ranch or your hot sauce. A dash here and a dash there. Only when we need a little spiritual flavor in our lives. Jesus wants to be your life. But maybe you're following, maybe you're following the Mr. Rogers Jesus, right? Maybe it's the Mr. Rogers Jesus, our friendly pal. He's, he's our friendly pal, he, always there with a soft word to cheer you up. But you see, this safer, sanitized Jesus, this safer, sanitized Jesus of our making would never have been crucified. He's too nice. This Jesus would have never been crucified. He's too nice. So, if you say you are for Jesus today, what Jesus 
are you for? Because in John chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus enters into the temple courtyards. And then it says that he, he sits down and he makes a whip. Jesus actually took the time to sit down and make a whip. And it says he drives out those in the temple who had turned his father's house into a place of profit rather than a place of prayer. And in John, in John chapter 6... In John chapter 6, about halfway through it, it's right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. He does this miracle and he feeds them the loaves and the fish. And it says that they're coming to make Jesus king. So he goes to a place, a solitary place. And eventually, the next day, this crowd finds him on the other side of the lake. And in verse 25, um, it says, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs I performed. Not because of who I am, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus said, you're seeking me because of physical satisfaction, material satisfaction. And he continues in this odd discourse about being the bread of life. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay. But then they begun to grumble. What is this guy talking about? He, he talks about eating his flesh. And in verse 54 and 55, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. That's a little bit weird, isn't it? Verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Less than 24 hours earlier, they wanted to make him king. But now Jesus has spoken a hard word, and they're not sure about this guy. And in verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This Jesus. In John 14, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This Jesus, he called himself the Son of God. He disregarded any social, gender, or racial boundary his society imposed. And as the crowds, as the crowds would grow and grow as they followed him, Jesus would say things like this in Matthew chapter 8. One of those following him said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And the Jesus of the scriptures replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You come and follow me. By the way, I'm homeless. And another said this, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus, I want to follow you, but I want to do it on my own terms. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, that isn't very nice, Jesus. And in Mark chapter 8, again, when the crowds were gathered and his disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. This Jesus, he claimed to forgive sins, but only God can forgive sins. And the religious people claimed he was just a man. And so his words ultimately got him crucified. This 
is the Jesus of the scriptures. Author Jefferson Bethke says this in one of his books, Jesus isn't rocking a cardigan and he doesn't talk softly through his nose. He's a roaring lion. C.S. Lewis, maybe you've heard of him. He authored the Chronicles of Narnia. In the first, the first, uh, a book, uh, the first edition of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there are, um, the, the children are having a conversation with Mr. Beaver in Narnia, and they're talking about Aslan. He's the lion, and he's a, he's a picture of Jesus. C.S. Lewis was a believer, if you didn't know that, but he's a picture of Jesus. And he says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That is what the real Jesus is like. The one that we are for today. He isn't safe. His words his life, his cross, shatter any notion of this Jesus being safe and sanitized. But he's good. He is the king, I tell you. This Jesus opens blind eyes. He touches those who are deemed unclean. He forgives sins. He's the one and only that can give you a new life and purpose. He is healer, defender, comforter, redeemer, savior, Lord, our lover who claims our love's affection. Jesus is simply the way God has saved, rebirthed, and transformed us. He is the redeemer and the one who exchanges our ashes for his beauty. His grace, his grace is scandalous. It's ferocious, it's uncontrollable, and it is incomprehensible. He is to be the object of our affection and worship. He is the lion like lamb, slain for the sin of the world, resurrected so that you and I can experience new life. He sits enthroned above the earth and will one day return as Lord of Lord and King of Kings, judge of all the earth. The real Jesus is always good, but never safe. He's always good, but never safe. So what Jesus are you really for today? And after you've asked that question, we can, get, we can get to the question, right? What does it mean to be for this Jesus? What does it mean to be for the Jesus we find in the pages of the Scripture? First, first, it does not mean you are for Jesus because you were raised in a church or in a Christian home. It does not mean you're for Jesus because you attend church worship services pretty regularly. It, it, it doesn't mean you're for Jesus because you think he is good. It doesn't mean you are for Jesus because you went on a mission trip or two. It doesn't mean you're for Jesus because you have some amount of reverence for him. It doesn't mean you're for Jesus because you tell others that they should love their neighbor. And it doesn't mean that you're for Jesus because you say you're for Jesus. You see, being for Jesus is not about having, about being and for the idea of Jesus or the knowledge of the historical Jesus or the Jesus we, we see in, in books or in movies. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah penned it well before Jesus himself ever stepped onto the scene. In Isaiah 26, 8, the prophet Isaiah writes this. He says, yes, Lord, 
Walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. He says, Lord, your name and fame is the desire of my heart. So being for Jesus means we we find our joy in Jesus. It means we adore Jesus. We think about Jesus. We obey Jesus. We worship Jesus. We love Jesus because he first loved us so much. So what does a picture of a life like this look like? John chapter 12. John chapter 12 A few verses will be on the screen. John chapter 12. What does a picture of this life look like? Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Shortly before this, Jesus had just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and if, if you know anything, you can look back later, but, but Lazarus has two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha. Martha is serving while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Verse 3, this is what I want you to see. Then Mary, okay, if you know anything about Mary, she's always found at the feet of Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. How expensive was it? It was worth a year's wages of the average day laborer. That's how expensive this perfume was that she emptied on the feet of Jesus. This this is one of the best scriptural examples of what it means to be for Jesus. And details matter in the word. We talk about that often. Details matter in the word. And so in verse 3, when it says that she wiped his feet with her hair, it matters. It's telling us something here. Because in this day, in this culture, women never unveiled their hair in public. They never unveiled their hair before a man that was not their husband. But Mary was acting with extravagant abandon and devotion to her Lord. She wiped his feet with her hair. And Judas, Judas, the disciple, he wasn't concerned about the poor, right? right? The, the, the kingdom of God is about, is about bringing good news to the poor. It's about serving and, and bringing hope to the poor. But that's not what Judas is about. He's about the money. He seemed to be for Jesus. But he was missing it. And Mary was not. Henry Blackaby commentates beautifully this scene. He says, Mary seemed to be drawn to the feet of Jesus. It's not surprising that of all those who followed Jesus, Mary was the one to anoint his feet. The disciples would have their opportunity to show the same love in John 13, but pride would prevent them. 
because Mary had come to know and love Jesus in this way, she was ready to humble herself and offer this poignant expression of love to him. Such depth and sincerity of love comes only through spending time in close fellowship with Jesus. And many centuries later, we are still humbled by the adoration of Mary's gift. Her story continues to be told. And you and I, we can render the similar honor to Jesus when we live faithfully in relationship with him wherever God's placed us. At home with children, at the office, leading a company, running a financial institution, teaching, preaching, whatever it is, wherever we've been placed. Faithful, honest, and diligent service done unto the Lord can be a gift to God. Now, it can be costly, and often others might think it an effort wasted, for it seems like no significant change, no permanent change in the world occurs. Not that earthly eyes can see. But what others may call insignificant or wasteful or ridiculous or radical, God deems to be like the fragrant aroma that filled the house when Mary poured all of it. The whole bottle, this could have been her life savings when she poured the bottle of nard onto Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. So practically, practically, what might this look like in your life, right? Practically, what might this look like to be for Jesus, to to lavishly um, be devoted to him? You commit that your marriage be lived intentionally and intimately as a testimony of his love and grace and faithfulness. You disciple your family so that the legacy you instill in your children is the one that declares there is no, no true joy apart from a life lived wholeheartedly for Jesus. Perhaps you disregard what others think of your choice to not join in on crude or, or gossip-filled conversations. It might look as you work as unto the Lord so that he gets all the glory no matter what. What might it look like? You live a life of faithful worship and loving obedience to Jesus above all other people and things and other loves in your life. Practically, what might it look like? You restructure your life and or your family so that your time, your talents, your treasures, your money, and your goals have their foundation in your devotion to Jesus, first of all. Because the bottom line, the bottom line for us today is that being for Jesus, being for Jesus is about having an intimate relationship with him, not about holding an ideal reverence toward him or maybe maybe this maybe i'll say it this way being for jesus is not about holding an ideal reverence towards him but about having an intimate relationship with him or maybe a little bit simpler being for jesus is about relationship not respect that's what it means to be for jesus in our lives Pastor John Piper, Pastor John Piper says this. He says this about being for Jesus. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
Oswald Chambers would say it this way, it is to give my utmost for his highest. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So are you for Jesus today? Mary's faithful worship of Jesus. Her faithful worship of Jesus demonstrates that our greatest testimony, our greatest declaration of being for Christ is in wholehearted devotion to him alone. And when we love Jesus passionately, it gives off a pleasing aroma. And that, friends, that, friends, is what will turn the eyes of a world far from God back to the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, Jesus. As a church, when we say we're for Jesus, that's what we're declaring today. As a church, when we say we're for Jesus, we're saying all we have and all that we are, our lives themselves begin and end with Him, His saving work and lordship over our lives. Because He is the one who bled and died for us, who now takes His place in heaven and is worthy of our total obedience, adoration, and worship. I invite you now, I invite you in these moments, even in your living room, in your car, wherever you're listening to, wherever you're tuning in to this message today, I invite you to stand, to kneel, to lift your hands, whatever, whatever outward posture you want to take and worship Him because He's worthy. If the, words, if the words of this song that we are about to sing are not, the, if they're not the intimate declaration and anticipation of your heart, they can become that today. Yes, even, even now as we respond. Because I believe that this would be Mary's song. This would be Mary's song today. No one has ever cared for me like Jesus. I, I am for Jesus. Are you? Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.